You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of a god. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andy. You may be seated. Uh, We do have Redemption Hill kids this morning for ages two to four, so if that serves you, um, we have a new kids' room, so it's just down the hallway. And then to the left, the banners are down there. Bye. Uh, thank you for those who are serving in Redemption of Kids. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Erica. Uh, I am wearing salmon. Could we just get that out of the way real quick? Not pink. <laughs> my, my kids. It's salmon, yeah. My... Uh, my kids picked out my uh, attire last night, so I had two options in front of them. It was neither with this. I'm like, one of these two, and <laughs> Izzy like immediately goes to the bedroom. She's like, you're wearing this. So I'm like, all right, fine. I'm wearing salmon. So here we are. Well, if you have your Bible, you can keep your finger in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6. Uh, we will cover a whopping seven verses, which means, at least here, we're cruising, <laughs> right? Uh, before I get into it, I want to let you know uh, that this fall, I, Pastor Rob and I, and we'll talk about this at an elder meeting later this week, we might hit the pause button for three to four weeks to do a shorter sermon series. Uh, we've been in Hebrews for a while now, and we will finish it. And then after the series, you know, we'll, we'll jump back in. Uh, there are, I just want to let you know there are pros and cons for um, you know, doing a book of the Bible and just going slowly as, and then doing like a shorter sermon series on a topic. I just want to explain that to you just as a point of reference, just so you know what's going on in our heads as we preach through, uh, preach Sunday in and Sunday out. One of the values of going through a book of the Bible is that a preacher is confronted with all kinds of passages, and in particular, the difficult ones, right? Uh, There's no way, because we're going through Hebrews verse by verse, there's no way I can't preach today's text, right? And there's no way next week's text, when you get into apostasy next week in Hebrews 6, there's no way you can't preach that text. And those are hard passages, right? A lot of people were like, oof, I want to deal with that. So you just kind of skip right by it. But when you actually slow down and go through books of the Bible, you can't do that. And if you do do that, guess what? Someone's going to be like, hey, pastor, (laughs) you kind of cherry picking here? What's going on here? Um, So there's a bit of accountability there. Um, and just, just so you know, we will circle back to Hebrews 5, verses 1 to 10, if you've been tracking with us. I kind of did move past those verses, but there's a reason for that. Uh, I'm jumping ahead. 
I'll be jumping back into Hebrews 5 to finish out that portion because that actually maps on with Hebrews 7. So that's what's going on there. So I'm not skipping verses. I'm just simply uh, going back to in the future for a specific reason. So there's value in doing verse by verse, book by book, right? There's also value in going through a shorter sermon series. That can be beneficial too. Uh, they can be beneficial in at least two ways. First, interpret, uh, interrupting a long sermon series could be a nice change of pace, change of pace right? Uh, if you play Monopoly every single day, playing Settlers of Catan one day a week is a nice change of pace. Sometimes that's a good thing. Second, and more significantly, a shorter sermon series is a, a way Pastor Rob and I can identify a particular topic that our, we feel like our church needs to hear. And so we'll eventually do that here in the, in the fall. So I'm just going to let you know kind of what's going on and, and the why behind it as well. Okay. Now, on to the book of Hebrews. If there is an overarching goal of the book of Hebrews, it is for Christians to hear encouragement and warning so that they will press on in the faith. There's like, there's a big banner that kind of, what's the goal of the author of Hebrews is to offer encouragement and warning to Christians so that they will press on in the Christian faith. You, Christian daughter and son of the holy and living God, must be encouraged, right? We need that. And occasionally, occasionally, you need to be warned not to drift. I've told you that one of the reasons why I love Hebrews is that it's basically just a running commentary on the Old Testament, right? I've said that several times. But there's another reason why I love this book. It is brutally honest about the challenges we face as Christians. It's brutally honest. Like you read it and you're just like, I'm living these verses. Like for some of you today, what we're covering is like, I'm living these verses right now. And that's what I love about Hebrews. It's just brutally honest. So are, are you on a hamster wheel this morning? A spiritual hamster wheel. Are you tempted to throw up your hands and walk away? Like what is this Christian faith all about? If you feel anything like that, I think God has something to say to you this morning. He has something to say to you. And so I'm going to pray, ask for God's help, and trust that the Holy Spirit is working in this room this morning. So join me in praying. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken and you continue to speak. I pray for my friends in front of me this morning. And I trust that in the power of the Spirit, you are indeed at work. Indeed, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And trust that you are indeed working in our hearts, minds, and indeed our entire life. Be with me. Help me to be faithful to what you've already said. I need your help. Heavenly Father, I desperately need your help. I pray this all in Christ's name. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? The church is supposed to be different from the culture. You need to raise your hand. That's the question. The church is supposed to be different from the culture. Now, I don't think it's a widely controversial statement. Throughout history, healthy churches were distinct from the culture that was around them. The church is not disconnected from culture, but she is playing perhaps basketball while everyone else is playing water polo, right? It's just, it's just clear. They're two different things. 
The question is, in what ways should the church be distinct from the culture? Right? In what ways? Should Christians dress differently on Sunday, right? I know some people out there have a, who can make a really good argument. Like, we all should be wearing suit and tie, dudes. Like, where, where you at, you know? Should Christians listen to specific uh, type of music, right? Should pastors, ministers wear vestments on Sunday? You know, the robes. I, I grew up Catholic, so this is very real. I was an altar boy where you, like, put on the vestments and, the, you know, it's colored and everything's kind of contingent upon what day of the year it is. So you wear that on Sunday, and then you wear blue jeans between Monday and Saturday. You could stop in 10 different churches within a 20-mile radius, and you will see differences in all these churches, right? You will hear louder music, softer music, and maybe a cappella. You will listen to a 25-minute sermon, a 35-minute sermon, or a 45-minute sermon. Now, some of these differences are driven by preference, and some other differences are because of principle. However, specific characteristics should unite all local churches as they distinguish themselves from culture. Here's one. Christians need to give and receive loving correction. Christians need to give and receive loving correction. And the word loving there is really important. It seems to me that the American church exists in a culture where correction is understood in at least two different extremes. The first is that we should not correct a person because it hurts their feelings. Right? It just hurts their feelings. In this type of situation, feelings are more important than truth. The, the other extreme that I see personally is what we've come to know as cancel culture, right? If you say the right thing in the right way, but to the wrong person, cancel. As Christians, we cannot concern ourselves with these extremes. But God's word shows us the path forward. What we read at the end of Hebrews 5 and in the beginning of Hebrews 6 are hard but really good words for us this morning. Make no mistake about it. These are hard words to hear and receive. But they're good for us. If the correction we read about in this passage is for you, my encouragement is for you to receive them and not reject them. This is what I'm talking about. When, when you go through books of the Bible, pastors can't get away with skipping the hard verses and the hard passages, and this is actually one of them. I was talking about um, this particular passage with my wife this last week, and she reminded me of a story in the Old Testament where confrontation was necessary. Uh, we went to 2 Samuel 12. Right, The prophet Nathan confronts David after his affair with Bathsheba. In the story, David repents. And then he writes Psalm 51, which tells us the importance of repentance. But everything started with a truthful and loving confrontation. Today's text is situated 
in an interesting spot in the book of Hebrews. It is as if the author of Hebrews begins to explain why Jesus is the greatest high priest, greater than the high priest Melchizedek, and then he just stops. He begins this explanation, and then he just kind of like pauses. He stops and realizes that before he can continue to build out this beautiful truth that Jesus is the greatest high priest, there needs to be this loving correction. The author of Hebrews needs to confront Christians in love. So we are looking at the third warning, the third time the author of Hebrews interjects his sermon and says, hold up, listen guys, i got to explain to you the hard reality of life, the hard reality of being a Christian. The first warning was do not drift in Hebrews 2. You might remember that. Do not drift from the faith. The second is do not harden your heart. That was Hebrews 4. And now the warning is that your immaturity in the Christian faith will cause you to ultimately walk away from the Christian faith. That's what he's concerned with this morning. Immature Christians. Golly, that is hard to hear, right? Like, I almost want to like just read Hebrews and kind of like walk away and not preach the sermon because it's like, oh man, I got to address immaturity. It's like almost like I look around and preach it myself for a minute. But that's what we have this morning. To borrow a biblical picture from Matthew 7, there were followers of Jesus Christ who were on the narrow path, the narrow path toward life, But then they found another path, a wider path, and that leads toward destruction. Therefore, there is need for some correction. Now allow me to state the obvious. I do not know a single person who likes to be confronted. I don't think you know a single person who likes to be confronted. Myself included, right? Parents, what happens if you need to confront your children? Like, get over here. Your hand was in the cookie jar. Like, where do, where do the eyes go? Like, down. Like, if I just look down, maybe this will all go away and they won't look at me. Even, even my dog understands when he's wrong. Winston, when we first got him, we adopted him when he was three or four. We don't know. And uh, for about a year plus, he would, like, run away. We'd say he'd gallivant the neighborhood, right? <laughs> and he'd always come back really smelly. And I, but he, every time he came back, we found him. I mean, the tail was underneath you know, his body. His head was down. He's like, he's not looking at me. His ears were back. Like even, even Winston knew I was about to confront him. And usually he didn't like the bath that was going to follow. No one likes to be confronted. No one likes criticism. But correction and confrontation are essential in life. The question is not, will you be confronted about something in your life? The question is, will Christian love hold sway when there is confrontation or correction? Will love hold sway? And by the way, a person who desires to bring correction might be wrong. That certainly could be the case. Or a person offering correction might be right. And the person receiving correction might think otherwise. 
All of that might be true, but in all situations, Christian love is what distinguishes the church from the culture. And it is loving correction and confrontation that we see at the end of Hebrews 5. Why does the author of Hebrews need to confront his audience, right? And remember, this is probably initially a sermon that was preached orally. In love, he confronts them because of the danger of apostasy. So he has a clear invested interest. You'll hear more about apostasy next week, but allow me to define it for you. Apostasy is not just walking away from the church. Apostasy is walking away from the living God of the universe in the Christian faith. Let me ask you this. What if you had a friend that had an anger problem, right? Clear anger. Good guy, maybe. Goes to church, but clear anger problem. Would you say something to him or her? I hope so. What kind of friend would you be if you said nothing? The author of Hebrews is a good friend. A good friend for us this morning. There are many factors why a person will walk away from the Christian faith. The original audience of this sermon was feeling persecuted, like physically persecuted. And so they just kind of want to walk away and like, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of my life being in constant danger. But we know from the New Testament there are other reasons why someone might be tempted to walk away from the Christian faith. There are false teachers that cause people to walk away. Matthew 24. Uh, Worldliness is another factor. 2 Timothy 4. A person becomes so much like the world that, and in what he believes. And it's like, this is, I can't distinguish that guy from all the people that are around him or her. I've seen people walk away from the Christian faith because of straight up bad leadership in churches. right? Not necessarily false teachers, but just maybe incompetency or, or something. And a more significant factor in our day is personal sin. When sin takes root, it can cause unbelief. And unfortunately, the reasons why a person walks away are are more numerous than what I've stated. So what do we see in today's passage? The author of Hebrews needs to take some people behind the woodshed because of their spiritual immaturity. And when I say that, believe me when I tell you there are times when God the Holy Spirit needs to take Sean Powers behind the woodshed because of spiritual maturity. Believe me when I say that. It is as if uh, a baby was born, but the baby never grew up to become a child and an adult. Or they became an adult and they went back to acting like a child. We will see what is identified as the source of immaturity here in a moment. Still, the people of God were clearly in danger of walking away from the Christian faith, which necessitated this loving correction. Here's the first part of our passage. Let's reread it. God's Word says, About this we have much to say, talking about those first ten verses in Hebrews 5 about Jesus the great high priest. And then he pauses, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he says, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, 
not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Verse 11 tells us the basis of the confrontation. Some have become lazy in their spiritual life. As a result, they have, they have not grown in their knowledge of God. You know, when I've engaged in pastoral counseling or when dealing with my own heart, there is an acknowledgement that any given issue might be complex, right? But the reason why this warning is given is actually not complicated at all. There is a direct correlation between laziness, that's what dull of hearing means in this passage, and apathy or weakness in one's relationship with God. It's a straight line, according to Hebrews 5.11. For the sake of their relationship with God, the trajectory needs to change. Christians need to grow in their knowledge of God. Let me say it in absolute terms. All Christians must grow in their knowledge of God. Romans 12 is an excellent text that speaks to the need of growing in our knowledge and our development of God. It says, do not be conformed to this world, right? Don't give in to worldliness, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When a person does not grow in their knowledge of God, what's up here in the head, they will not strengthen their heart. It is when you have a mind and heart for God that you can be resolved to fight the good fight of faith. Last Wednesday, I made a comment to my seventh grade class that I was teaching. And um, they were learning about theology. We're going through a confession of faith. I said, a reason why shallow Christianity exists in the 21st century America is because we have shallow theology. Local churches have not cultivated a culture of learning and growing into maturity through understanding our understanding of God. Now, the Christian faith is not all about head knowledge. It is not. But knowing and understanding God in the Christian faith is extremely important. Here's a piercing quote from Pastor Richard Phillips. He says, We live in a time when most church members are immensely ignorant of the Bible and its doctrine. Evangelicals heartily agree that the Bible is true, but they simply don't take time to learn what it teaches. When I read that, I'm like, whew. Heart check. Phillips cites several data points from surveys where people who attend church could not tell you the four Gospels. They could not tell you the Ten Commandments, right? Listen, the point is not to become a theologian. That's not what's being communicated here. Suppose that ends up being your calling, right? Great, I support you. (laughs) But I promise you, this sermon, the one that is being preached through the book of Hebrews, was not written to prod future professional theologians. Nope. This sermon was written to people like you and me who need to grow in our understanding of God. Here's here's a litmus test for spiritual growth. As a pastor, as a teacher, as a husband, and as a father, one of the statements I love to hear from people, from my students, 
from you, from my wife, from my children is, I've been reading my Bible and trying to understand blank. I love hearing that from people. I've been reading my Bible and help me make sense of this. I love that. When I hear that from someone, I know they are wrestling with God. I know there's a desire to mature in their knowledge of God. Like at Redemption Hill, we want to continue to create a culture of curiosity and a love for learning about God and the things of God. We want to create that here. I hope it is here. We want to continue to cultivate it. God is well and alive, and his word, as we saw several weeks ago, is living and active. It does not matter how much you know right now. Like, it does not matter that you can parse out the hypostatic union of Christ. But may a hunger for a greater knowledge of God grow in you. May this church be a place where you are fed solid food. Now, perhaps you think I'm overstating the importance of growing in the knowledge of God. Well, let's look at our passage. The church in Hebrews had become dull of hearing, verse 11, and the reality is that there were many in the church who should be teaching. That that was the call. Like, you should be teaching, guys. This is how we know that new Christians are not specifically in view, but those who have been in the church for some decent amount of time. It seems that stagnation is not the only problem, but there are some in the church that have been regressing in their knowledge of God. We read, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's verse 12. You need milk. The picture that I I think is being painted for us is that of an infant who is reliant on their mother for milk. Because everything in in our culture has become sexualized, this picture has become crude for us. But in reality, the picture of a nursing mother is natural and normal. The point of the picture is, why are you back at nursing milk from your mother? I thought we've moved on from that. But here we are. By now, you should have the ability to go to the fridge and pull out some solid food. But as it is, let's start over. I mean, when you think about it, that's quite the rebuke. It really, it really is. It's like, cruel. I'm in my 40s, and here I am acting like I need to nurse. Let's go back to what we know you can handle and begin there. Now, by the way, there is a tremendous amount of grace shot through the entire book of Hebrews. And receiving something like this needs to be received in grace, knowing that if you have to start over, God is at work, right? So we can deal with two realities at the same time. Man, I've I've regressed. And, and knowing God and, and loving God and working that way, that's, that can be a true statement. And there's a tremendous amount of grace to get through this season, right? Two things can be true at the same time. Notice the two-way street that does exist in verse 12. If a person needs milk, again, they need a teacher to give them milk. 
Christians, regardless of their maturity level, do not need to strive alone. As a matter of fact, the church needs to be the place to provide the help. A teacher or pastor may need to start out with skim milk, but eventually the goal is to offer whole milk and then get down the road to solid food. The student and the teacher are looking at God's word together with the goal of growing. We read in verse 14 what maturity produces. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's what maturity results in. You can make those distinctions. It's safe to say we live in a time and place where good and evil are confused and just turn on the news. What what God calls good is being called evil. and What God calls evil is being called good. Do you want to know who is not qualified to opine on good and evil? Christians who are drinking milk. Right? I mean, that's what the text says. I mean, in no way am I trying to be mean. In no way am I trying to be provocative, right? Not looking for someone to slice up the sermon and for it to go viral because some pastor said something crazy, right? It's not the point. I'm simply trying to apply this passage to our time. There are too many Christians on Twitter, now called X for some reason, Facebook, social media, wherever, who are drinking skim milk and yet want to lecture the mature about what is going on in the world. I see it all the time. What we need is for Christians to hunger for God's word and not hunger for social media outlets or that blog that is perpetuating the latest conspiracy theory, right? If you are drinking milk, the goal is to get you to solid food. The goal is to get you there. But that might require refocusing on God. It's going to take humility. It's probably going to require adjusting your priorities so that you can grow in your understanding of God and then therefore understand the world that is all around you. Here's the second half of our passage, beginning in Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. There are times when a pastor or leader breaks out the uh, metaphorical cattle prod for the ones he loves. There needs to be a day when I go to the grocery store and I bring back Solid food for you. It is okay for you to hear, hey, the concrete foundation has been laid. You know the gospel. That's great. We sing it this morning. We sing it every single week here at Redemption Hill Church. We love the gospel. That is the foundation. But now we got to build a house on that foundation. It's time to go on to maturity. It's time to go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from the... from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The point of verses 1 and 2 is not to abandon these truths. It's the opposite. For example, it is good, right, and necessary for a Christian to have a basic understanding of the gospel. Yes and amen. I do not know much 
after the Lord saved me, I did not know much about Christianity, right? All that I knew was that I, was com- I committed my life to follow Jesus. That's all I knew. Do you think I was able to articulate the doctrine of justification after the Lord saved me? No. Glorification? No. Sanctification? No. Not a, not a thing. All I knew was that God the Holy Spirit did something crazy in my life. But there did come a point as I moved on from milk to solid food that I began to see the depth of the gospel. The goal for Christians is to build a solid foundation with a house that goes on top and yet like trees in the yard where roots go deep, like a big oak. Like the, I don't know why, but the picture of a bridge came to my mind. And so I started you know, doing the Googles and looking up how bridges are made for some reason. It was fascinating to me. Like, I grew up in Dubuque, Iowa, and in Dubuque, Iowa, there are two main bridges that go over the Mississippi. One goes to Wisconsin, the other one goes to Illinois. And so I started looking up information on how those particular bridges were built, and here's what I discovered. Those pillars that hold up the bridge go 80 feet deep, not just past the water, but into the ground. 80 feet deep. When the rains, floods, and cares of the world come, the pillars and the bridge are not going anywhere. Here's another metaphor of what it looks like to grow into maturity. I've been recently um, confronted with the fact that I have not taken care of myself the way I used to. You couple that fact with age, and I have a growing urgency to be more active. Right? So, for most of my adult life, I've, I've lifted weights for most of my adult life. But in the last two years, I've like completely walked away from the weight room. Just like, I mean, I go to the treadmill two, three... Uh, usually three, four times a week, but like I avoid the weight room like the plague. <laughs> so on Thursday, Chloe and I went to the gym and I was not going to default to the treadmill. I decided that even though, and that's just me talking about how I've, you know, tried to take care of myself historically. So I decided even though I am drinking skim milk in the weight room, I'm going to get to a place where I'm going to be eating solid food again. And here's the real reality, because I've confessed this. You can hold me accountable like six months down the road. (laughs) But here's the deal. It's going to take effort, right? It's going to take time. It's also going to take encouragement from others who are, you know, in my sphere. So I I text two of my friends who are pastors who, who lift on a regular basis and said, hey, guys, help keep me accountable. If you want to grow into maturity, it will take effort. It is going to take time. It is going to be, you need to be in a place where you can receive the encouragement you need to press on in the Christian faith. So, what I do not want you to hear from me this morning is that you need to become a systematic theologian. Right? Don't hear that from me. Nothing could be further from the truth. A lot of intelligent people can read Greek and Hebrew and teach theology at universities all around this country, and they do not know God. What I want you to hear is that in the power of the Holy Spirit and being full of faith, you can pursue a greater knowledge of God. Allow me to get really practical. Is, is your prayer life non-existent right now? Like, that, that is a problem if you're a Christian. But I, I do have a solution for you. There are 1,440 minutes in a day. 
Just take one of those minutes to pray. Just start with one. And then the next day, pray another minute. And then maybe someday, you'll pray two minutes. And then maybe that goes to ten minutes, right? Set a timer. One minute. I'm going to pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer. When's the last time um, you've engaged in God's Word? It's been tough, you say, right? Life is busy. But here's what you can do. Read the entire book of Jude. It's in the New Testament. If you go to the book of Revelation, the last book, it's right before Revelation. Read the entire book, 25 verses. And after you've read it, reread it the next day. And after, you read it, after that day, read it again. 25 verses, that's it. Take you a couple minutes. But may that grow a hunger in you to learn more. Maybe you'll get to the book of Romans, right? And then get into the Old Testament. If you keep doing that, you'll grow. Day over day, week over week, by God's grace, strive to grow in your understanding of God. There is not a person in this room who does not have the ability to apply these words from Hebrews 5 and 6. Create regular spiritual habits and rituals in your life. If you do so, I think in time you will be eating solid food. And if you're eating solid food right now, if that's you, praise God. Help others who are drinking milk. Right? Come alongside. Be the encourager. Be the person like, hey, I can help keep you accountable. And then you need to continue to pursue a hunger for God as well. So, has the author of Hebrews brought out the lumber for us this morning? I think so. (laughs) But it is for our good. And we have every opportunity to respond to God. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.